man, it made me angry. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that you, you're in such a incredibly unique power of influence, and you choose to yeah. abuse that in, uh, in pursuits in, in, in pursuit of greed. Yeah, greed and, and, and your shareholders and, ego and things and, like that and profit, right? You and know, money. Good it's luck with Libra, dickhead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you have Facebook on your phone? Uh, I don't have the app. Uh, don't you? I, I don't have the app on my phone though, and uh, but I, I do have a shortcut to the to the movie side. You do? Yeah. Because I'm going to delete Facebook right fucking now. Hey guys, so they say that authenticity requires vulnerability, transparency, and integrity, and you know I couldn't agree more. You know, remaining authentic in a world of fake news. And clickbait headlines are becoming increasingly more difficult, especially in the world of journalism. So the challenge really is to remain true to yourself and to find a way to grow without cutting corners or jeopardizing the quality of what you do. On that note, today I'm joined by the publisher and CEO of Daily Maverick, Stilly Sheralambus, someone who has helped put the Daily Maverick on the map for never compromising on quality and always delivering hard-hitting stories that don't shy away from the cold hard truth. Hashtag the Guptas. And you know, they've done this even when it involved real-life dangers, espionage, cloak-and-dagger antics, legal threats, and angry politicians. Join us for an insightful and mind-expanding episode as we jump into what is happening in the world of media today, journalism, and the unfortunate world of politics. So without further ado, enter Stilly Sherylambus. And we're live. Hey guys, welcome back to another cracking installment of the Map Round Show. <laughs> with me today, we're going to talk about all things media uh, with none other than Stiddy from Daily Maverick. Welcome to the show, bro. Hi. No, they're overpaid. It's, uh, that's, that's the first for media people. <laughs> How do you know these things? Maybe that's because we do something called media. Yeah, and I have the fear of the number 25, which is the 25th of every month. And having gone through uh, salaries, 120 mm-hmm. of them, uh, I, know, I know the pain. Congratulations, though. 120, that's quite a remarkable feat. Yeah. Uh, Especially in media in yeah. this country. 10 years, it's like 70 human years uh, in, uh, <laughs> in digital media. It's like one year in media, it's like seven dog years. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So you're an, you're an old dog. Yeah, that's it. Um, mm. Smelly and full of fleas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So um, why don't you hit it up for us or set it up for us? So Daily Maverick uh, is a very well-known independent media company. I think you guys started about, well, in fact, it was 10 years ago this week, apparently. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, amazing. Well done. Jeez. Um, and, uh, but I mean, despite... Yeah, I would say pretty huge odds. The odds were very much stacked against you to build a, a media company um, with the landscape the way that it was at the time of South Africa at the time. Walk us through that. I mean, why did you wake up one morning and go, hey, I'm going to start this thing called Daily Maverick? What was the spark there? Yeah, so I, technically I'm a co-founder. I joined a month before the official launch, but I kind of uh, fell into it. A friend of mine was the seed funder for Daily Maverick, and uh, you know he, uh, you know we were working on another startup together. wasn't going anywhere. I said, "Hey, what else you got going?" He said, "Well, I've just given these journalists some money, and they could really use someone with a bit of business experience." And uh, I had a coffee with uh, 
Branko Brikic, who's the uh, founder and the editor-in-chief, and before that, Maverick Magazine, Empire Magazine, and a whole sort of, you know, long history in publishing. And uh, I was just sitting there going, oh, this sounds less cuck than other options. Let's see where this goes. And, uh, you know, the first couple of years were just trying not to sound stupid and trying to learn about this media thing. And, uh, yeah, I just uh, started off part-time and it kind of grew from there and grew from there and just kind of like, you know, absorbed me, you know, full-time plus that. And uh, and then just carried on from there. And it was really just about surviving one payroll to the next, mm. starting with a team of five uh, full-time uh, journos and uh, editor. And uh, now, you know, I think 75-odd. 75, 78 people. I think, I don't know, we've, we've hired some, we had a huge growth spurt this year. Um, you know, over 70 people have their, make their living from, from Daily Maverick. Mm, amazing. You must have had some pretty shitty options at the time though, hey? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what uh, were they? If, if, <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, like if I could do it all over again, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I often ask myself that question. You know, if, if I knew then what I knew now, would I still do it? And there were, honestly, there were would times, you? there were times when I would say, uh, very likely not. There were times, but I think now, having gotten to the ten-year mark, uh, you know, absolutely, I think it was it was it was worth it. But there mm. were there were times there when I was like, "Fuck that, it's not." You yeah. Know. yeah, I'm so glad you swore before me. That's uh, that's a first. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, but also you guys have uh, you've you've been uh, you know very instrumental, I suppose. Instrumental, maybe influential is a better word in in kind of the the political slash social fabric of South Africa over the years. I mean, you certainly graduated from startup to, you know, Daily Maverick is where you go to get really independent, authentic, objective, uh, investigative journalism and information related to corruption and blah, 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 blah. Um, I know that, um, you know, you guys were pretty instrumental in the whole Gupta saga in terms of uncovering what was really going on there. I mean, how do you see your role now? I mean, looking back, you know, from the very first days when there was just the five of you to 70 yeah. odd people now, like how do you see the Daily Mavericks role in this journalistic sort of spectrum? Yeah, going going back and, uh, you know, having the opportunity to reflect a little bit uh, um, once you you know, sort of get to that 10-year mark and look at how things have changed and the focus of change. And we started out wanting to do one thing and then we kind of got pulled in to the sort of that political uh, that political space. And, you know, the, the media was industry was imploding in on itself at, at the time. And we look back now and, we, you know, someone's done a, uh, a survey and they've figured out that journalism or the media industry has lost half of its journalists in the last decade. Um, and so while this was going on and combined with the economic pressures of, you know, dwindling uh, uh, newsrooms and juniorization of newsrooms to cut costs and political pressures and the political hijacking of, of media outlets, you know, um, the sort of the traditional players and the legacy players were struggling with all of that, uh, as were we. And equality pretty much went out the window for a long time and corners were cut and um, editorial uh, agendas were hijacked. And so in that space, we started becoming this sort of island of, you know, where you could go to, to, and we wouldn't budge on compromising quality or chasing clicks or chasing pages, chasing scale was a, is a, still a huge problem in the media industry. And, um, you know, you know, while people were, were sacrificing, compromising, we wouldn't, 
you know, editorial was always the quality of editorial was the bedrock of everything that we did. And we just kind of like knew we had to survive. And one day, uh, you know, sustainability in a business model would hopefully come. And, uh, you know, so hope has it arrived. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you just skimping along? Yeah. <laughs> 25th to 25th. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the, we threw the standard economic theory textbooks out the window when we started this. And, uh, you know, about a year ago when we were sitting at about 40 odd people and our membership program was really starting to take off and, and change things for us. Um, you know, we decided to, you know, almost double the size of the organization, you know, because that's what you do when things start coming right. You know, it's mm. like, you know, you know, why profit? Fuck you, profit. Why? Why? Get away. Yeah, you know? I'm there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, we decided that the, the best uh, route to sustainability and the best option for the country and for ourselves is for a bigger, stronger daily maverick to be around. And mm. so we chose uh, explosive growth uh, when we had the opportunity. Um, and uh, we, we're just, you know, backing ourselves to to be able to attract more talent, more funding, more members, um, more philanthropic support, uh, more commercial support. If we're if we're bigger, uh, yeah. and and that's what we're pushing. And at the same time, we're trying to create this sort of like safe space for good quality, experienced journalists to be able to find a, find a, a place where they can come and practice their craft in an environment that is shrinking and has all these, you know, these other pressures. So why do you guys exist then? I mean, is it about, you know, going back to my question about how do you see us, your, your role in the spectrum, right? Mm. Um, in the sense that, you know, do you see yourself in a way as being the custodian of public opinion? Uh, like what's the, why, do, why yeah. are you pursuing this scale like, and, and to what end? Yeah, so when we look at everything that's happening with the, you know, sort of the rise of, you know, fake news and falsehoods, and uh, and the uh, deterioration of the quality of of, of uh, editorial around the world. Actually, um, you know, we see our our mission is sort of twofold. One is to defend truth in a time of uh, uh, of all this corruption and fake news and uh, the democratization of messaging and media mm. to people, where checks and balances have been lost. So that's on the one hand, and then on the other hand, you know, as we expand into other areas as well, is that if you're going to give us your time, we want you to be better informed after having spent time with us and read any Daily Maverick article on any one of our sections, so that you can go out and make better decisions. And uh, so that's kind of how we see what we need to do, and it's kind of you know it's a it's a it's, a, it's part public service, it's part you know it's part business, it's part philanthropic uh, expedition, uh, and it's all kind of like you know um, you know the, in this melting pot of what it means to be a you know digital media company today mm. today's world. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, we, before digital kung fu is you know basically repositioned itself to what it is today. We were very much a, a sort of a audio-only media company, and um, and one of the big challenges is this business model question, mm. you know. Um, and to earlier points around, you know, it's a big problem. Media companies wanting to chase scale, and why they want to chase mm. scale is because they need scale for ad-funded business models to work. Um, and I've I spent a lot of time thinking about well how do you build a media company or a digital media company now um, and if you, especially when you start out when you need 
cash mm. <laughs> <laughs> to fund people yeah. uh, and content and content's mm. not cheap to produce no, quality, good, good content good, good content crap content's not, really yeah, easy yeah. if you have a mobile phone yeah. congratulations yeah. Um, but the stuff that you do is it's, it's high value it's expensive it's researched it's carefully there's checks and balances and things it's, it's very deliberate it's not mm. you know willy nilly hey I think this sort of thing um, and the added benefit of being life threatening as well you could also die yeah. you know so that's also quite a nice unquantifiable cost on that I don't know how you feel about the value of your life you know but um, you know it's all, it's, it's all it's all gravy, right? <laughs> you know, but but going back to the business model thing, I mean, like, what have you learned about this ad funded business model? Does it is it does yeah. it have any street cred today? It's a uh, it's a dirty dirty place. Um, Clickbait, fake news, blah blah. Yeah, I mean, in the entire industry itself, you know, I mean, like, how do you how do you you know sit in front of a, a young media planner and try and convince them that spending with Daily Maverick is good for the country and that that's how you're going to get your all right? And they don't have a KPI saying you know mm. good for democracy. Oh, you know, yeah, um, you know, and to think long term because I mean, you know, yes, you know, um, your spend can go to Google and Facebook at a much lower you know, cost per acquisition, for example. But, um, you know, what is the long-term cost of having a Zuma in the presidency for another nine years? Mm. You know, um, you know, people don't factor that into account when, they, when they're carving up media budgets, for example. So, and it's hard to have the conversation. Um, yeah, so it's a dirty world. It's still very much, um, you know, Wild West frontier type stuff. People don't really know what's going on in black boxes and where ad spend's ending up and all that kind of stuff. And it's just a really difficult, con- you know, conversations to have with, with media agencies a lot of the time. Um, so which is why, you know, we look at uh, sort of like a three to six formation. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the a football in that analogy cool. is, you know, having three sort of major sources of, of revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, which one we were chatting about this earlier, sort of philanthropy, commercial, and, and reader revenue. And then within that, having two sort of big, you know, or chunky types of uh, uh, of revenue within those to give you six sort of significantly uh, proportioned uh, revenue streams. And that's kind of how we've eventually butting our heads a lot of times against this wall. Uh, it's starting to emerge for us. And we're starting to see trends in, in the States where this concept of, you know, trading non-profits who have to be commercial, who have to sustain themselves with commercial Efforts is starting to become the the, the new way that uh, that media are, are sustaining themselves in, especially in that public service space, accountability journalism, investigative journalism. That's really hard to that's hard to fund. Yeah. Um. So that's starting to to come around. But yeah, you know, the advertising space is 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 tough. It's dirty. It's um. But it it's high margin. So you know, there's still space for it in in our, in our world. Mm. Um. Unless you're Facebook. Yeah. Um. You know, Facebook is the devil. Basically, so you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm also. Have you seen that shit that um, Zuckerberg and what's the chick? AOC. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. That's that's. I awesome. mean, we will allow the political ad thing 2020. So uh, he's so Zuckerberg's got like a, another commission, you know, at the Senate or the House uh, in the states, basically interviewing him, and um, they're like, "Yeah, so are you going to allow?" Uh, political candidates to manipulate the public through your ads program. And he goes something like, it's not a no. It's like, yeah, no, well, look, I mean, you know, yeah, it's, it's freedom of speech. To, yeah. It's not for us. Not and for well, us I'm like, listen, yeah, motherfucker, you the, you're like, if you, Trump got into power for this exact reason. Yeah. Absolutely. And now look. Yeah. The most, the most read or I think the most shared article um, 
about in the 26 uh, election campaign mm. uh, in the States was an article entitled um, Pope Endorses Trump. And I think it got like 5 million reads. And um, well, obviously a fake fake article. But now, if you look at the margins in, in some of those swing states, um, you know, we're talking about tens of thousands of, mm. of people made the difference in those swing states. So, I mean, can you imagine, and especially in you know, some Bible Belt um, states, where that could be an article that really tips the scales uh, at, a, at a national level? Uh, same, we saw the same thing with Brexit. And, um, you know, and so the question is now, can uh, any big uh, democracy have a fair election when Facebook isn't implementing any sort of regulatory oversight mm-hmm. into political ads and to the way falsehoods are, are easily uh, promoted on, on, on their platform. And that's the big issue that I have with, with the likes of Facebook and Twitter is not that they were better than us as a media in selling advertising. I mean, in fact, they did a better job. Awesome, great, well done. You know, in fact, what can't do about that? It's the fact that they don't uh, uphold any standards or, or aren't willing to go to the lengths that we have to by abiding to a press code, by you know, uh, being responsible for the kind of ads that are shown on our, on our platforms, they don't do that, and that's the part that that I think is 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 the real killer, and, mm. and um, you know, and why ultimately it's going to be up to the regulators to solve this problem. Stay with us; we'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Yeah. Um, but man, it made me angry. You know what I mean? Yeah. That I, that you, you're in such a incredibly unique power of influence, and you choose to yeah abuse that in, uh, in, in pursuits in, in, in pursuit of greed. Yeah, greed and, 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 and your shareholders and, ego and things and, like that and profit, right? You and know? money. Good it's luck with Libra, dickhead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you have Facebook on your phone? Uh, I don't have the app. Uh, don't you? I, I don't have the app on my phone, no, and uh, but I, I do have a shortcut to the to the Moby site. You do? Yeah. Because I'm going to delete Facebook right fucking now. <laughs> How do I delete? See, now it won't even let me delete this thing. Oh. Huh? Oh. What? What? You need my... <laughs> you need it, I don't. <laughs> Like I take flack on social media for stuff that you say, Q. We've been down this road. I don't need social media. You need social media. I'm a social brand, but doesn't mean I need to run my own shit. We've been th- okay. Anyway, we digress. Yeah, no. I mean, I've uh, I've been uh, I've been dark on on uh, Twitter for a long time. I, I don't think I've. Uh, 
I've I've used the account um, in my in my capacity for a couple of years now. I'm going to get the odd tweet that link that gets posted on our WhatsApp group, and I need to check it out. Um, but yeah, cutting that out of my life has has been has been great on so many levels. Uh, and then yeah, Facebook the odd check in just to check up with you know mm. family's doing and stuff like I've that. I've actually but uninstalled it probably half a dozen mm-hmm. times, and then for some obscure reason, like they need like OTP pins and things yeah. like this, so I have yeah. to continually yeah. reinstall the thing for it. It's annoying. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I, I think we'll look back. I mean, like I said, we're in the Wild West time of, of social media now, and I think uh, it's not going to be like that forever. I think um, eventually regulators, common sense, and the backlash from, from people is, is going to come back and, and bite them and couldn't happen to a nicer bunch of motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, well said. And on that bombshell, let's do quote of the day. Uh, okay, so take us through this one. Yeah, so this is a quote that I was uh, that I offered up when we do twenty questions with uh, everyone in our team, and you know, every two weeks we send out a newsletter to our members. And this is the secret of life: is to fall seven times and get up eight times. So pretty much uh, very uh, reminiscent, and uh, I guess encap- encapsulates the uh, daily Maverick experience for me, which is really just getting up again, time and time again, and in that perseverance and slash stubbornness mm. um, of, uh, you know, building a company in a very difficult uh, industry uh, in a very difficult time, probably the most uh, the most strenuous time of being in media and the history of being in media. Mm. Um, so, yeah, just uh, perseverance. I, I think it's the one common thing that um, if you speak to any entrepreneur, if you speak to anyone who's, you know, started a business or any any sort of, even internal division, it's the one thing that that uh, goes further than almost anything, further mm. than talent, further than skill. Uh, you know, perseverance uh, coupled with a bit of luck. Yeah, that's why Pitbull, the singer, did so well. It was just a Pitbull. <laughs> Wouldn't take no for an answer. Yeah, uh, I'm going to rap in your song. No, <laughs> yes, I am. No, and then he became a billionaire and he pumps everyone. Let's get for him. Um, so on this perseverance thing, I mean, I think it's. I would say that it's also been a huge uh, reason for anything I've achieved is just not ever quitting. I would also say it's been the biggest uh, reason for my failure is quitting and choosing to quit. Um, obviously, as you say, you know, you've, you've, you had times when you felt like you wanted to quit. When should someone quit? So uh, I gave a talk last week at the African Investigative Journalism Conference and I talked about you know, things we have learned over the last 10 years and, and what were our failures. And uh, I think one of our biggest failures was not knowing when to give up sooner. And, um, and, and that's tied in with not going into new projects or starting new projects with clear objectives and you know, results that we were hoping to achieve from that. We do a lot of stuff, you know, from from our gut, uh, and uh, you know, we we uh, we go into it and and we don't kind of sit down and say, okay, what exactly we're we trying to achieve here. And so we did too many projects where we just, you know, the the perseverance and the stubbornness was actually to our detriment. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's it's also important to know when to give up. And you know, like it's only a f- like it's so so cliche, but like it's only a failure if you don't learn anything, right? You know, use the opportunity to learn and test and. You know, and uh, and that's something that I, I'm starting to pick up now is is to really start thinking about like product design and 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 product management and that whole thing of, you know, it doesn't have to be this two year project to get a redesign of the website out. Let's test features mm. 
and see what the feedback is. Do people use them? Oh, they use them. Then let's invest more and you know, make it pretty and mm. you know build a better mousetrap. But let's not spend two years building a feature that we think is going to work and then no one uses it at the end. Um, so, yeah. Um, but uh, sorry, I think your original question was... Uh, when, do you, when should you quit? When should you quit? Um because there is a time yeah right? there is a time and I think you can't also be an idiot about it yeah and, and I think if you have clearly defined objectives about what you're trying to achieve and you're not achieving them then it's okay to say well shit let's walk away mm. but if you don't know what you're trying to achieve um, it's very hard to kind of you know be honest with yourself and say okay well we're not achieving it let's turn this ship around and pivot move somewhere else or do something else mm. um, and so I think that's when it's okay do you have the luxury of pivoting now as Daily Maverick? Uh, yes. I mean, we, we had a massive pivot uh, a year ago with membership um, and, you know, some media uh, commentators uh, uh, called it the pivot to reality for, mm-hmm. um, for media uh, in that they, you know, they, they gave up playing this scale game against Google and Facebook and realized that in order for, for quality journalism to survive, it needs to, it needs, it needs to, well, yeah, niche is, is, is part of, of building a community and having engagement, um, but ultimately you have to go to your readers and, and that's the pivot to reality that's happened. So that was, for us was a, was a big pivot. I went to the States on a study tour, uh, innovation tour and came back and told my editor, look, I was expecting doom and gloom, but there were places over there that were so optimistic about the future and the one thing they all had in common was they'd crack the reader revenue uh, conundrum. And he was like, oh, we're not going to put up a paywall. You know, and uh, I said, so that came out more Indian than Serbian. You said that exactly like that. Yeah. It was trying to do a Serbian (laughs) accent, but it came out more Indian. Sorry. Apologies. (laughs) And um, yeah, and so, well, no, we don't. There's the, the, you know, membership had had now sort of started uh, to be studied and and researched, and there was a lot of uh, info out there, and it was a model that really resonated with with our values and and our beliefs, and uh, was a way that we could. Um, you know, get into the reader revenue game and build a community without blocking access for people who couldn't afford to pay, hmm. and uh, which was very important for us that our work gets out to anyone who who can afford an internet connection. Which you know, it's still pretty damn expensive in this country, but mm. at least you know it's not another paywall on top of that. So explain your your revenue model now. Then I know you touched on it earlier with the three the three kind of streams and then you put three six two i think it was um but um you've got memberships you've got philanthropy and then you've got commercial activities activities. selling still selling ads doing events and sponsorships uh just launched a book division um so and uh yeah thanks and and uh, and a little bit of merch so we're sort of testing a couple of uh a couple of avenues where we can leverage the brand and we can uh, leverage the the you know, eight and a half thousand members that we have now who are passionate about what we do and passionate about the brand and who are really involved in a lot of, uh, a lot of the stuff that we do, even our journalism and uh, which is the biggest part of, of, of the membership program is not reader revenue. The focus is to build that community. And then, you know, the byproduct is of a successful community building effort is, is revenue for us. Um, so that's, yeah. And we just, Try and make sure we, we're sort of diversified in that, and oh, and uh, documentaries. We just uh, finished our first documentary, which is uh, being entered into Sundance uh, uh, Film Festival. Hopefully, we'll make it. We find out soon if we do, uh, and then that'll um, you know we, we've invested uh, two and a half years and quite a lot of quite a lot of uh, 
uh, not available cash into making that happen. Um, but it's the kind of thing that can uh, that can hopefully you know pay off in dollars. Um, and so it's been picked up by a European distributor and African distributor. And if we get into Sundance and hopefully huh. uh, North America, what's so, it called? Give it a punt. Uh, it's called Influence. It's the uh, story of Bell Pottinger. Um, uh. Cambridge Analytica 1.0, the original uh, political election meddlers. Uh, with, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, And so, uh, you know, we were obviously uniquely positioned at the time when we were doing the Gupta Leaks to um, see how our work and the work of um, some activists were able to bring down Bell Pottinger, um, even after all the other cuck that they were involved in, which was way worse than what they did in South Africa. And uh, it was just at a time there was a power struggle going on. And, you know, um, anyway, so this is the story of Tim Bell who started Bell Pottinger and how he w- would go around. He was involved in the 94 elections. Um, and it's, you know, it's amazing. The Nats got 20% of the, of the vote in the 94 elections, which is the actual real miracle of the 94 elections. Uh, but he was involved and working for both sides. Uh, mm. As well, and then there's you know Iraq and Chile and was it a ninety six percent no no landslide? No, 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 Why do I 60, have that number? In 60, it was sixty uh, low sixty, and there are people who believe that that was an engineered result because that uh-huh. was was below two thirds majority. It was a significant majority, but not crossing the two thirds hold. So there was all sorts of like mm. mention. But anyway, we we follow the story of um of 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 his life in political uh, meddling and advertising and trying to influence uh, people and goes whatever. And so the the movie is um yeah it's going to be released early next year and cool. uh, we're hoping it's the start of a of a great spin off business for us. Mm. Interesting that you've gone with content again. Uh, you know, and, and and that's what we're good at, right? Yeah. We, we, you know, we're storytellers, and there are so few people telling good stories, and especially in this half of the hemisphere, there are very few people who have a access to the kind of stories that we have, and 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 b who are telling the stories at, at a level in, and in a way that we are. So uh, it's just kind of like, you know, the opportunity came up, and you know, our multimedia team were like, "Shit, there's a documentary here. Like, we should try and do this," and we we're like. Uh, okay, right. and um, and it's just kind of gone from there. So we've got another one in uh, another one in the works that they're now in filming a teaser for in in the states, um, called Sneakers and Guns, and uh, it's the story of how um, terrorists use high value uh, tackies to to move value around borders and ultimately fund terrorism. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, there are techies that cost ten thousand dollars. Do you know that? Uh, okay. Yeah. So you can, I mean, so basically any story of value. But this is a story of how is this Bitcoin loaded? <laughs> that's about the same price as one Bitcoin. Yeah. So uh, you know, you can, you know, you can move. You know, imagine you got, you got a, and and there was a, you know, there was a robbery here in 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 Joburg, and you can trace how that robbery of those of those uh, units ends up funding. Terrorism, the terrorist act in. So people France. are hijacking ten thousand dollars sneakers. Where? All over the world, but um, you know, and we, selling it, them on the black market. Yeah, for like five grand, and then taking that cash, and funding terrorism in America. 
Uh, or any Europe, anyway, anyway, Africa, Europe. Um, so, th- look, the, the, the story is going to uh, is going to unfold as we as we spend more time uh, investigating and doing the teaser and you know getting the funding Holy to shit. get going. But I mean, Nuts. these are the kinds of stories that that are there and then told and that we come across mm. in 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 the work that we do. And uh, it just kind of makes sense, you know. Like, okay, what are we good at? Well, we're good at telling stories in words. Okay, when well, we're going to get better telling stories in 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 documentary videos. And we've done short form documentaries, and and this is a full feature length one. What does it cost to produce a uh, any anywhere from uh, again, depending on whether you're going to shoot it on an iPhone or. But I, I think uh, this no, like a nice handheld digital camera proper thing. Look, this this one, the first one that we did, like um, those ones. The budget for influence was a million dollars. Holy shit! Really? Yeah. That's a massive budget. Yeah, um, and and it's probably one of the biggest in in documentaries in South Africa. Yeah, that's ever done. For sure, but we worked with international co-producers uh, okay. to, to make it happen. So, so it's proper quality that thing here. Yeah, yeah, I know it, it is. It is. Uh, yeah, we're hoping it'll be one of the best documentaries ever made. And you got to pre-fund all that upfront, eh? Uh, no, not all of that. Um, you you have to take some risk capital, and uh, yeah. the 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 reason we worked with. Uh, local co-producers and then international co-producers was to reduce the funding risk so we're mm. effectively only like a 20 percent mm. shareholder in in the movie um but it's also i mean we were never going to be able to afford a million dollars so mm. um that's you know that's so we're you know learning this as we go and as we get more experienced we won't need mm. you know that many pr- co-producers and tell me what what's the upside of that like if it get you know if it does get sold or acquired or whatever what is um it? so what does the distributor pay so a distributor will sell it into networks like Netflix or BBC uh, documentaries or CNN documentaries, mm. and um, you know depending on on how they sell that, it you know you could you know we're, look we're looking at this if we get our money back we've done fucking well mm. you know and uh, not to mm. not to uh, lose our shirts on our first go at documentaries which is which is very possible. Um, and, and there's kind of like you don't know you I mean you know if it if it does well at the festivals if it gets picked up by North America and uh, and Asia and Europe and you know into great networks you know it it could have you know million dollar return mm. you know which is which is uh, nice which is great uh, yeah. but you don't know right mm-hmm. so uh, just remind me to connect you to have you heard of Roku before smart TV network yes yeah yeah uh, I can get your stuff on their network. If you're open to that, yeah, I, I mean, don't know what your distribution deals like. Well, I mean, so that's where the international co-producers would get involved, and they mm. they chat to all the different uh, distribution options and partners and availability. Mm. Yeah, cool. Um, so you mentioned the Guptas earlier. Uh, obviously, that's a big stink, uh, you know, in our kind of history, both from a consumer and um, and media perspective, journalism pers- perspective. Um, covered this with Alec Hogg. I know you listened to that show. Um, but can you walk us through exactly what you did in that space and maybe shine a light on, you know, where is investigative journalism actually at today when it comes to real important issues that affect entire nations? Yeah, look, uh, you know, investigative journalism is, is one of the cornerstones of any democracy. Um, it's a reason it's called the fourth state. It's a reason that it, um, you know, throughout so many instances, Watergate, Panama Papers, um, you know, and Gupta Leaks shown the power of, of what investigative journalism can do when it's done right. And, uh, you know, we were, we were very lucky to um, 
be brought into contact with with those files and um it, it is almost like it's one of those things where you you have to ask you know if the, if you know the universe want just wanted us to be the guys who worked on this uh, and and, I, and for a couple of reasons number one there were sort of three opportunities where the whistleblowers um were either um uh, asked to or actually tried to uh, hand over the files to other other parties so so they tried to hand it over to other journalists, or what? Yeah, and then they would, and then what did they? And they wouldn't touch it. So the, the the first is a story where the intermediary to one of the big newspaper houses was, um, you know, was approached, but they ended up getting too drunk, and uh, it never happened. There's the uh, there's the uh, story of the uh, that then from there went to another media house on a Saturday morning, and the offices were closed. And then they approached a political party uh, representative who never pitched up uh, for the meeting. So there were like these, you know, efforts that happened. And then eventually, you know, then through another connection, they were like, hey, well, maybe, you know, maybe Mark Haywood would know who to give to, you know, uh, Section 27 um, uh, MD at the time. And, you know, Mark and and, and us have, have worked quite closely together the years. And, he, you know, he rang up my, my editor-in-chief and said, you got to come to Joburg. And check the stuff out, and they, you know, he went up, saw the sample, and you know that's when he sent me the message afterwards, and he said, "We have a game changer," and uh, and uh, I can't talk on the phone, uh, and then I responded, uh, "Okay, the servers are fucked, and I don't think the site's going to be up for another five minutes if we don't do something drastically." And so it was back to operational stuff, and then he got back to Cape Town, and you know he kind of told me what what we had, and I was like, "Okay, well that sounds pretty massive," and um, yeah, we we had to. We had to sit on it uh, for a while. We reached out to our friends at Amabungani, who had, you know, who had South Africa's, um, you know, uh, best long-established investigative teams, and we'd been investigating the Guptas for a long time, and we knew we didn't have the capacity to do this by ourselves, and this was much bigger than ourselves. So we reached out to them to work on it, and then that took a couple of months of trying to fundraise um, the effort that was going to be required for us to do the work, because you know it was two hundred thousand emails. A couple hundred thousand files that needed to be, you know, need to go through, and we were against sort of the clock of the um, of the ANC elections in December. So, but we couldn't do anything until we had raised the funding, got the whistleblowers out of the country because we were worried about their safety, and then also we then had to um, we then had to make plans to um, uh, relocate our team out of the country as well to do the work because while we had the stuff and uh, we hadn't yet published, the risk of something happening was huge, right? Because if they knew we hadn't published and we had it, then there was always incentive for them. You know, we had to assume the worst. Hey, isn't that Mikey Schultz outside? Yeah, like that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, so, except that uh, while we were prepping and literally, um, you know, there's a story, my editor was uh, going to book the accommodation uh, in Ireland for the team to go out, but uh, the card limit for international transactions hadn't been changed and so it was blocked. And anyway, it didn't get any terrible admin. And um, by the time it got around to booking it again, I saw a tweet um, from the Sunday Times with tomorrow's headlines and this was on a Saturday night and it was the exact same story that I'd seen from the sample and I was like what the actual fuck has just happened and um, 
for a couple of weeks, we didn't know. We, we thought the whistleblowers had um, you gone know, public. No, that 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 they'd gone. That they were playing, you know, oh, two, two, with two yeah. media organisations. Um, and then you know, we we could quickly found out it wasn't them, but they were still in the country. So we were like, any day, we were we were expecting them to be found floating in Broome Lake. And um, luckily, we um, and the funding that we'd arranged to get them out the country was 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 now in you know in jeopardy. Um, because they were going like, what is going on here? And um, anyway, it turns out that you know um, one of the people that we'd been working with uh, took a copy of the drive and gave it to uh, to the Sunday Times. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we we go into this in, in in the book, and so it was really a, a time of cloak and dagger. Um, you know, uh, editors were were sort of sharing panda emojis as the signal to meet in the park to leave the phones in the car and then walk. You know, walk out into the park to have sort of planning meetings and stuff, and trying to raise funding for the whistleblowers and ourselves to be able to do this, and then being thrown the curveball of you know the Sunday Times getting getting the hard. So did they well. leak that first? So they broke, yeah, they broke it, and then they just kind of ramped up everything, and we like just went into overdrive, and for the first couple of weeks, it was a it was a shootout to mm. see who could you know who could do it, which is unfortunate from an editorial point of view because we really wanted to do it properly and have a planned and systematic release of mm. stuff, but. On the other hand, it it uh, it now meant that there was a second target on another media house, and so that reduced Which actually the made threat. you yeah reduced th- it was the threat. A yeah, good thing. So it was it was a good thing, and in the end, you know, we got the result. Um, you know, th- you know that the stuff came out, and that um, you know it it helped it helped uh, influence the outcome of the uh, of the ANC election, uh, even if the final margin was three percent. Mm. And what did that whole process? I mean, what did you, if you think about, you know, from the time that you were initially reached out to by the whistleblower to the ANC election, what jumps for you as a key learning or insight about um, authenticity or journalism or? Um, yeah, I mean, look, at the time we, we kind of knew that this was going to be the story of our lives, that we knew this was going to be the defining moment uh, of our careers and um, that we had to suspend everything else in order to make this happen. And so we, through every available uh, resource, we called in every available favor. We, you know, uh, we gave our stuff away to other media houses for free. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was really, um, you know, kind of like the Springboks, you know, this was, this was about something so much bigger than just ourselves. You know, we could have in that moment, we could have probably uh, achieved sustainability, commercial sustainability, mm. throw up a paywall and put this, but we would have most likely have had a different president. And so it was really the learning there was, um, you know, and, and so often journalism is about um, serving pu- the public and, and keeping uh, that as the, as the foremost uh, motive in, in doing what we're doing, you know, because, you know, I, I can, you know, I, I would guess that, you know, if any other editor, uh, of a, of a you know major media organization had got that um, chances are we'd have a we would have had a different result uh, I think you know um, the fact that we didn't put up a, we don't have a paywall the fact that we were willing to collaborate with Amabungani and News Twenty Four the biggest media house in the country um, and to give our content away for free I think that ma- made a big difference as opposed to you know someone else who's trying to sell a newspaper or trying to put up you know further paywall you know. So it was really just about, uh, it wasn't about us. This was way bigger. And that was the, that was the learning. 
Hey guys, so as digital citizens, we are all exposed to the good, the bad and the ugly of social media and the internet. Being a victim of cybercrime, cyberbullying, revenge, pornography, etc. can be devastating and scary. But, you know, it's not the full story. We do, in fact, have good news here. There's a company called Save T-Net Cyber Safety, and they help victims for free by connecting you with the relevant experts such as forensic analysts, psychologists, and the right people at the police and legal advisors. This is a for-purpose company, and they also share the cyber safety message at schools, corporates, and everywhere they can. But they do need your help. So get involved. If you are an expert, join their network or let your CSI funding keep this engine going by empowering safety nets to reach more schools and affected people as possible. If you'd like the full story, check out my interview with Ria Net Leibovitz, the founder of Safety Net, right here on the Matt Brown Show. And for more information, visit savetnet.com. Well, in a way, you've, you basically stole from Jeff Bezos. So... You, you we pursued vision and growth over short-term profits. Yeah, and I think you know that's kind of been that's been us from from day one, really. Um, and yeah, I mean the the vision was never ever to budge on on editorial, never to back down if an advertiser threatened to pull pull spend or if um, a politician threatened us or if a legal letter arrived or if you know times you know, got too tough and you know we needed to chase clicks and scale and all that other all that other rubbish it was like we're not this is the one thing we will not compromise on yeah the one thing you guys don't get a lot uh, a lot of um i suppose payback on is, is is this idea of courage because it takes courage to do what to do what you do period let alone you know get thrown into the hot seat like that and then uh, uh, you know so kudos to you guys and your team there for sticking to your your own editorial kind of mantra. Yeah, I think journalists also a bit uh, a bit crazy too. You know, like they're the kind of people. You know, you get people. There's a big fire happening, and everyone's running that way, and they're like running to the fire. You mm. know, like it's like towards. Okay, yeah, okay. smile. Yeah, you know, Hold your gun up. How did this start? So, but it, but it, it is incredibly uh, rewarding, and th- that you do need to be courageous, and it's and it's hard, and I think people uh, often. Um, forget um I, you know that the threats are there and they're almost constant mm. um you know the threats to physical safety the threats to um and we are mostly female newsroom uh, oh, wow. and and most of our investigative journalists are, are, are women and they get way more flack than their male counterparts and uh, and and that's actually a theme around the world um but in a in a violent country like south africa that can be incredibly scary mm. and uh, and then the impact that that has on on one's mental health as well you know to look into the abyss of the worst of humanity slash social media on, on a daily basis and uh, and have to deal with that as well as like the the stuff that we saw that happened in the in the last decade, you know, and to not lose faith in humanity and uh, and to still persevere and and go well, what I'm doing has meaning has will have impact. But it's an always like this chap here on the wall. Obviously, he's a pyro. He um, writes or puts cartoons in your yeah in your stuff all the time. Yeah. And so he's in in my book. You're in a game number one on Amazon, by the way. Um, you, but I mean, like, if you know, I've had, as I said, I met, I've met, interviewed Alec, now you, Zapiro, and it's the defining characteristic that ties all successful media slash journalists together. It's this uh, ability to say what needs to be said despite 
whatever is standing in front of them to your point it's like the the steve jobs the crazy ones ad you know by apple it's like the crazy ones are the only ones that ever changed the fucking world um and um you know jonathan as well same story death threats numerous times thrown in jail blah 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 during apartheid and stuff like that so um it's like part and parcel of that of your game now yeah and and uh and you just have to accept that yeah that, that is you know that's what we signed up for and uh yeah uh you know we we uh, you know sometimes we feel like we have it bad and and then you know you go to a, a media conference uh, with some of our colleagues from from other countries in Africa, and they'll have a session on uh, on on te- uh, you know terrorism journalism guidelines, how to interview a terrorist who's holding a hostage uh, for ransom, hmm. you know, and then you kind of go module one, yeah, <laughs> you know, or, or, or the fact that uh, in 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 some countries the the only way journalists can survive is to take a, a brown packet of, of money from advertisers or politicians mm. uh, because they don't get paid they can't you know they can't be paid and so kind of go okay just you know big gold panties and you know, let's let's go you know it's it's uh it's still okay so your book uh is coming out end of this month is it? yeah end of this month we've uh we've opened sort of pre-orders for our members and our readers to to be able to buy it it's a story of uh, a decade of daily maverick we called it a we have a game changer um from that message that my editor sent me a decade of daily maverick and we look back at what it was like to start a media company in mm. a time of zuma and zuckerberg and uh and how the you know the politics of the country influence. Why they, why they always Z? Yeah, I know. what I mean. Yeah, A to Z of fuckers. <laughs> um, yeah, and 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 what it was like, and how the politics shaped us, and how we shaped the politics and of the country, and uh, you know, you know what it was like to to just keep this thing going. And so we have interviews with staff, and and you know what was going on, and why they were writing, and how they were writing stuff, and you know the first sort of story that went viral around the world and was picked up by This American Life and, and mm. read out by Ira Glass, which is, uh, mm. which is pretty amazing. Cool. Um, and so we, we just recount some of that stuff and obviously we're going to do the Gupta Leak stuff and sort of, sort of chronological look back at each year and, and what was happening in South Africa's history and our history. So it's almost like it's, it's quite a nice, you know, the, the way we've done it is, is look back at, at this, this decade that is just so, yeah, just so crazy. Mm. Dude, um, where can they get pre-orders? I'm keen to actually go and get my hands on a copy. Yeah, so shop.dailymaverick.co.za is, uh, is where we're selling the, the pre-orders there. And uh, yeah, and then once it's out uh, in, in bookstores, uh, I believe a lot of the independent bookstores and exclusive books have, uh, have ordered copies. So, um, But yeah, we've got free delivery on, on, on books uh, purchased through Daily Maverick. And uh, yeah, you know, every book that's bought there goes towards um, helping support our, our team. Cool. Um so what's next for you? Well, in fact, sorry, hold on. Before I answer that, are you podcasting? Yeah, we are. Um, so we've experimented a little bit. We really wanted to, uh, we, we had ambitions of putting out the daily, the South Africa's version of the daily inspired by the New York Times, um, which received its one billionth download about uh, a month and a half a ago. podcast? Yeah news podcast got it got one billion download um and uh you know and and not even joe rogan gets that um but that's in total over time but uh, yeah uh, and uh so we wanted to do that so we've started experimenting we did one now uh for the world cup weekly pod, sports pod, 
podcast. Um, we've got, we did one for the book. We interviewed uh, the writers and people with the book together, but we'll probably be launching a weekly news one quite soon. Um, and uh, yeah, we're just uh, trying to make it work. We were hoping to do a daily, but we're going to start with a weekly and see how that goes. Cool, man. Where are you guys going now as a company? Yeah, so uh, priority number one is to get to a place where all of this is uh, is sustainable and it's washing its face uh, without really worrying about um, you know um, the next year or, or six months down the line. Um, so, but growth will still be very much the the order of the day for us. We grew by seventy five percent in this last year. We added um, that's thirty odd people to the team. We'll probably add another thirty. Uh, we'll be exploring the book division and um, you know other sort of other ways to leverage the content that we already produce. You mm-hmm. know, and, and how do we, you know, how can we break into some other markets outside of outside of digital? Uh, the documentary uh, division uh, will be spun off into a new company, and and so we're looking for investors into that. And depending on how the first one goes. And, uh, you know, we've just started working with a bunch of investigative uh, journalists in London um, who are publishing uh, declassified um, or, or investigative stories into declassified documents um, uh, that have been released by uh, the British Ministry of Defense um, after the time's expired. So there's stuff like that that's happening. And uh, But the plan is to, is to grow and to become that big central place of uh, news you can trust in, in South Africa and uh, and keep evolving you know I think uh, journalism needs to evolve to stay relevant um, you know you hear this thing I don't read the news you know all the time and um, you know and we need to respond to that you know and, and so how do we respond to that and within the context of a journalistic crisis that is happening in this country mm. um, and so how do we grow so we are growing in, in a time and so we'll be looking at podcasts we'll be looking at you know um, other media um, opportunity, and then as our membership grows from eight and a half thousand to hopefully ten and twenty thousand, that in itself will create new opportunities that we're not quite sure of what they are just yet, and mm. so they'll they'll come to us. So, um, and then just to create a, a safe space for journalists who want to who practice the art of quality independent journalism in this country to be able to come and work with us. Cool man, why do you do all this? Uh, I lost a bet. Uh, <laughs> Um, no, so look, you know, um, you know, you've worked in a in a, in a big sort of corporate uh, organization, or corporate closest to a corporate type uh, as you can get, and um, you know, I think when you when you come into a place where you can find meaning in what you do, and it has a, a positive impact on society, um, it makes all those those other tough times uh, palatable, mm. and um, and I guess it, it, you know, for me, every new job that we create is a is a huge milestone uh for me it's one of my proudest moments is every time we hire a new person and then we can bring on you know a young person or an experienced person in a country that suffers with with such huge unemployment and so that's our way of making a difference alongside the stuff that we that we produce as well on an editorial basis Mm. Uh, and so it ticks a lot of boxes uh ticks a lot of boxes and it's a creative it's a creative environment um and so yeah it's uh it, it's a it's a, it's a great place and, and it's been you know a great ride uh, for me so um, yeah and, and fuck, it's so much better than auditing and accounting <laughs> <laughs> root cause yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Silly Silly. Thanks for being on the show, dude. Thanks, man. Good to be here. Tell your story, bro. This edition of the Map Round Show is brought to you by networkspace.co.za. In fact, our studios are here in building number four at Network Space up in Johannesburg. These guys have made us a huge deal, have really bent over backwards to give us the kind of service that most exciting businesses deserve. If you want more information about Network Space, you can actually come and check out our studio. We are always open to meet new entrepreneurs and business owners from around the country, and you can do that right Right here at networkspace.coza. Thanks for checking out the Map Round Show, guys. And if you'd like to get the Kung Fu put in your ninja, check out digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.